2: Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Welcome
0: to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
2: Hey, welcome
0: to Weird House Cinema. My name is Rob Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today, ooh, we're getting into that Star Wars, into that Star Wars gunk. Uh, I got a question. We, we were sort of chatting about this before we hit record today. And I feel like we've got to recreate this moment. I was wondering, you remember when The Force Awakens came out, and mm-hmm. there were some Star Wars fans who were very angry about various things. One of the things they seemed, that some people were angry about was that uh, I believe the, the people who now owned the rights to all the Lucas Star Wars properties had declared that a bunch of extended universe stuff, so a lot of the Star Wars books and all that, was no longer canon. It didn't really happen in the Star Wars universe. And what, I was, uh, what, what I'm now wondering is, were they also angry that the events of the Ewoks movies didn't happen? Or were there people <laughs> who were like, Just furious, spamming the internet with spoilers for the movie uh, because, like, Wilford Brimley didn't really live in that hut in the woods and the, like, the the beaver teeth uh, Ewok creature didn't really run in fast forward and all that. Teak? You mean Teak, Joe? Teak. Don't act like you don't know Teak's name. Well, I was confused Um. (laughs) about Teak because... I it sounds in the movie like they're calling him Teak, but when I looked him up on the internet, people were calling him things like Teag, like his name had a J in it. So I I'm very huh. confused now. But you're right. My huh. ears my ears heard Teak. Oh, okay. Um
2: well yeah, he, he's Teek to me. And I guess that comes down to my feelings about canon in Star Wars, which I think I've uh, I've I've expressed here before, is like I I'm kinda like build your own canon, you know? Um you know, for the purposes no, of enjoying it no. all, like just <laughs> accept what you want and, uh, and, you know, be happy about it.
0: But, um, I have to have a corporation tell me what really happened in the Star Wars <laughs> universe. Uh,
2: you know, I mean, I can see where it's valuable for storytelling purposes and, and I, I understand why they, they did it when they took the multi-tiered Lucas uh, canon system where it's like uh, you know A class canon and B like the, the the film we're discussing today I think was technically C canon uh, and, in, <laughs> okay. and instead Disney came in and just said alright we got canon and we got legends and canon is what is you know the official story that we're building new stuff off of but of course they often go back into legends and draw things out pick out characters and events and weapons and things like that and bring them in bring them back into the fold and so I, I mean, I'm, you know, so I, I feel like I feel like there's not too much to get upset about, but uh, but I'm I, I try to be more easygoing with the Star Wars universe.
0: Well, obviously, C in C cannon stands for cool as hell because this movie is <laughs> really really cool.
2: Yeah, and it's fitting that we're recording this shortly before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. because uh, after we we picked it, I realized oh th- this was the thing like this came out. Uh, on, like on Thanksgiving or for the Thanksgiving holiday on ABC television uh, uh, back in uh, the eighties, back in nineteen eighty-five. So really, we're partaking of a of a holiday tradition right now.
0: Right. So once again, uh, like like last week with Boggy Creek Two and the Legend continues, we're covering a sequel uh, colon subtitle film without covering the original. So the movie we're talking about today is the made-for-TV Star Wars movie, Ewoks, colon, The Battle for Endor. But that's actually a sequel to another Ewoks movie. I don't think I've seen this other one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can I can give you the very brief rundown of the first one, um, Caravan of Courage, which came out the year before, 84, uh-huh. um, on ABC television around Thanksgiving. And uh, it, it had a, a pretty simple... Uh, plot. Basically, um, it followed Sindel, that's the little girl, the little like super blonde Shirley Temple-like girl Mm -hmm. that is in both movies, followed her and her family in their adventures after they crash-landed on the forest moon of Endor. Endor, for those of you who don't remember, is of course the pivotal location in the second half of The Return of the Jedi. This is where the Empire puts their shield generator to
0: protect the second Death Star that they're constructing. Wait, sorry. So this is a moon, right? This is not a planet. It's a moon of a planet. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I um,
2: basically Endor is a is a gas giant, and mm-hmm. this is a habitable moon, like a like a hell of habitable moon. It's yeah. uh, it's lush. Uh, but anyway, they crash there. I think there has always been some confusion about whether these films take place before or after Return of the Jedi. Like, I think they're sort of supposed to be taking place before. But then there are questions like, well, how does how does Wicket already know English or mm. basic or whatever you're calling it, um, you know, or does he forget it and then have to learn it again from Princess Leia? But at any rate, um, on one end of the other of Return of the Jedi, this occurs. They crash there. The um, the parents are kidnapped by a giant creature called a Gorox. Which is is actually something that uh, that MacQuarie designed for Return of the Jedi, but it didn't get used. It's like a giant ogre thing. Oh, Ralph so,
0: who we talked about yeah. in Boggy
2: Creek. Wow, yeah. connections
0: yeah. again, man. Yeah. So, so
2: basically, the Ewoks and the kids have to go on a journey to save their parents from this monster. They pull it off, and that's the movie. It's 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 fun. It's a fun little film.
0: Uh, but, but but that is all minute. you need
2: to know for this one.
0: Now if that is if that is the aliens of the Ewoks canon Battle for Endor is the alien 3 of the Ewoks canon because it starts off basically killing all of the beloved characters from the previous film. Yes, it does. Like basically, <laughs>
2: basically it starts off with the the family hanging out with the Ewoks getting their their ship ready to go so they can leave Endor. And then a bunch of marauders show up. These um these uh, these humanoid warlike creatures with with battered like just, you know, their blasters are just held together with like dirty gauze and mm-hmm. dirt, you know, uh, they come and they raid uh, the, the village. They take Ewoks and the human children hostage and all of Sindel's family, uh, except for her, are killed by the marauders So it's just really yeah. a brutal start so, to a kid's movie. Do you like Paul Gleason? I hope not because he dies in the
0: first few minutes.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting Paul Gleason didn't play the dad in the first one. So he <laughs> he funny. was cast in the role. Paul <laughs> Gleason for those of you who don't remember he was the the principal in the Breakfast Club. That was like his 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 big role. He was in some other things too, but yeah, he he's in it for just a very short stretch and then he's dead.
0: Classic jerk authority figure of 80s movies. Yeah. But the movie also – so the movie, it, it sort of begins like Alien 3. It kills all the beloved characters from the previous film. But then it also sort of begins like Conan the Barbarian because it, it mm-hmm. starts with basically space Thulsa Doom just raiding an Ewok village and then taking a bunch of prisoners. It, it, even some of the shots look kind of similar, though in a slightly cheaper and, and less dramatic, less Wagnerian way. Uh, the I, I was thinking about how the – the bad guys in this, I like that the look of them is kind of simultaneously like skeletal orangutan, but it's also sort of insectoid, right? They've got they've got mm-hmm. faces that are a cross between like an ant and an ape.
2: Yeah, these uh, the Marauders have, I think, ultimately an interesting character design. Um, uh, in in later works, I think they are also referred to as the the the, the Saniassins. Um, that's supposedly their species, but in here they're just basically, they're the marauders. We'll probably just keep referring to them as the marauders, but yeah they're a little bit a little bit apy, a little bit uh. Uh, reptilian. They ultimately yeah. make for really cool space orcs. You can think of them as
0: space orcs. I guess um, that works. But wait, maybe maybe before we get too deep into the plot, I'm sorry if I threw off the sequence here. Maybe we should like uh, give the elevator pitch and look some trailer audio, a little bit of background, and then we can fully break down what happens in this uh, beautiful adventure.
2: All right. Well, here's the pitch: A young girl loses her family to brutal space marauders, and a witch. On the yeah, forest moon of Endor. We'll get into the witch in a minute. Uh, she teams up with a tribe of Ewoks, an old hermit, and a rabbit-like speed demon creature to survive. Or if you'd rather, you can look at it the other way and say this is a movie about a grumpy old man who rediscovers his zest for life thanks to a little girl and her two stuffed animal friends in space.
0: In space. It is Wilford Brimley on the dank moon of Endor. Yes. Uh, let's hit that trailer audio. Somewhere at the end of the galaxy... Two friends were about to say goodbye.
1: What's wrong? Shh. Danger.
0: Until the forces of evil threatened their lives. Don't
1: let Just run fast, run.
0: And together, they face an incredible adventure beyond imagination.
3: There's no escape for you, my little one. Must have hope, must
1: escape.
2: All right. I, I, I like how we got some roars in there because there there are a lot, are a lot of creatures to roar in this film.
0: Yeah. Oh, there there's some really good big nasty creatures that are ridden like like uh, you know, like Hannibal's elephants, mm-hmm. but they look more like Tyrannosaurus Rex tadpoles. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, the blurgs. Yeah. Oh, is that what they're called? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're a lot of fun because
2: this is an example. We're talking about things that were rejected from canon and then brought or brought back in mm-hmm. because this was the, the blurgs show up in this film for the first time. And yeah, they're big T Rex guppy mounts that the the Marauders are using. They would later be brought back in the Clone Wars series, and then they were brought back in the first season of uh, the Mandalorian. Huh. So. They they effectively made their jump
0: uh, back into live action Star Wars in canon. Okay, I, I want to know how this thing got made. Ewoks: The Battle for Endor. We're, we're so this came out after the original trilogy, right? It came out mm-hmm. after Return of the Jedi. Right. That, that's okay. So the whole the whole original trilogy had already been released. Fans are already familiar with the uh, the Dank Forest Moon of Endor. They're already familiar with the Ewoks, the Cuties, uh, space bears. How do we get to this? Was George Lucas involved at all?
2: Yeah, like he was the he he was definitely behind it. I believe he is the story credit on both of these films. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not privy to the full the full breakdown or the full wikipedia entry on, uh, on on how it came to be but i mean basically this was an attempt to continue dipping into the star wars universe specifically indoor and the ewoks uh by telling smaller stories with them in a way like that's the same brilliance well i don't know if it's brilliance here but i would say that the brilliance that you see in uh, in the mandalorian where they're like let's tell smaller stories in this universe. Like, this is a big universe with a lot of cool stuff in it. Let's let's carve out a smaller area and tell something
0: there. Sure. I mean, that's a great way to uh, expand on, on a setting and a world you've created that's very nice. You don't always have to be blowing up whole planets. You could just have, like, a little spy story set within that universe or a Western.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and in this it case, all- it's, I don't know what it is. In this case, it's Conan the Barbarian set in that Universe Conan the Barbarian for kids mm-hmm. uh, set in that universe. Yeah, it,
2: it's and again, I I think it also is important. Uh, you know that yeah, there's room enough to tell not only different size stories, but stories with different audiences in mind. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, like the Star Wars universe is vast enough. You can tell r- you, the story of Rogue One, which is you know I think more of a, a spy story,
0: yeah,
2: and war story for older fans uh, set in the universe, and then you can tell this story, which is skewing a lot younger.
0: Yeah, uh, Rogue One's more like John Le Carre in space, and this yeah. is this is Conan the Barbarian meets ET, but a little bit cheaper in space. Yeah.
2: Now, one thing I want to drive home about these films, uh, especially for um, for anyone out there who maybe isn't uh, uh, isn't my age or, or older, uh, you have to realize that okay, this came out in '85. That's one year after the Caravan of Courage movie that we just mentioned. Two years after Return of the Jedi. And there would not be another Star Wars movie on TV or, or in cinemas for 14 years. Yeah. So to put that another way, three Star Wars movies come out before the two ABC television Ewok films, but nine films came out afterwards as of this recording. <laughs> so uh, if you're my age, these films were just not things you could ignore. Uh, these at the time comprised 40 percent of the Star Wars <laughs> cinematic experience. Um, So that's one. of, And and also, as our producer Seth brought up, like they were on TV. So there's a good chance that you or someone you knew taped them. Mm -hmm. So suddenly it is a repeatable experience. And I'm certainly one of those uh, um, kids who who definitely had repeat viewings of the battle for Endor. I probably saw it more than I saw um, Empire or Jedi
0: growing up. Wow. So did did you also have the thing where uh, it. It had certain commercials that had been taped along with it, and you just memorized those commercials, like the holiday special with the lady Garment workers union commercial and the and tobor. I don't remember
2: it uh so maybe we were savvy and and edited those out. I don't know or or i mean i can't I can't imagine they actually presented it without commercials at the at the time, but I don't remember the the commercials I think I would because i i I finally remember some taped vHs commercials.
0: Okay, so we're living in a world where this is 40% of, of Star Wars canon, uh, or at least uh, yeah, whatever, sea canon or whatever he's calling it. Um, so who, who actually directed this thing? So it's a, a, a team of two brothers, uh, directors and writers here,
2: Jim and Ken Wheat. And there's some fun connections with these two because they had previously worked with Graydon Clark on his <laughs> 1980 <laughs> film, The Return. Uh, they wrote the screenplay
0: for that. I haven't seen that, but uh, no. if if the Uninvited is any indication, Graydon Clark is somebody whose uh, career is worth exploring. A couple of
2: other films that they they wrote the screenplay for or involved in the the evolution of the screenplay uh, writing were A Nightmare on Elm Street, for The Dream Master,
0: and The Fly Two. Oh, wait a second! Wait a second! So the uninvi- I forgot. Graydon Clark directed the uninvited, uh, not the uninvited. The uh, uh, without warning, the first yes. House cinema yeah. movie we did. That completely slipped my mind. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, everything comes back to Graydon there. Clark. I, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> He's the alpha and the omega. He is.
2: Um. So so those are two notable films. Definitely not kids' films. Um. But then another. Uh, they also wrote a screenplay titled Nightfall. That went on to become a film called Pitch Black. So oh. anytime you watch a Riddick movie, you will see their names in the credit because they were involved in the original screenplay. Oh, that's
0: really funny. You know, I wouldn't say Pitch Black is a great film, but when I actually went back and watched it, it was much better than I was expecting. It, it, uh, it has plenty of charms that uh, still hold up.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of some of the like the, the cuts and the edits and the it, it feels it feels very um, to me anyway. It, it feels like music videos of that time. Yes, yeah. In a way that can be jarring. But that being said, uh, I I think it's a solid space monster movie with a little a little maybe the, the machismo is is ratcheted up to a <laughs> level that is not 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 my go to level. Right. But uh, but I enjoyed it.
0: But it also is an early indication. You get that glimmer of why Vin Diesel would turn out to be such a big movie star. I mean, he, he is he's just eminently lovable, even when he's playing a really bad dude. Yeah.
2: And of course, the, the cool thing about Riddick, too, is I mean, the first film it was that it was uh, Pitch Black was a necessary precursor to Chronicles of Riddick, <laughs> which, as you know, is, uh, is my favorite
0: uh, Vin Diesel film. Uh, I I know your love of Chronicles of Riddick. We actually watched this one together, and the, what are the they called the necromongers in it? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah wear the, the bone armor. They look kind of like space kurgans. It's yes. really good. <laughs> but okay, we, we we've been we've been burying the lead here. Okay, so the really important thing about this movie personnel wise is the big WB Wilford Brimley.
2: Yes, that's right. Wilford Brimley plays his character Noah um in it this is the the grumpy old man uh, that is key to the film um brimley is uh is is interesting casting in this and and it it is it's it's kind of weird to think about brimley as a a cinematic icon because when you think of him you think of oatmeal you think of cowboy hats you think of these rugged everyman roles perhaps i think of the thing that's the thing well, that it's the thing here is that <laughs> I feel like I mostly know him from the big science fiction films that, that he was in, namely John Carpenter's The Thing. But also he was in Cocoon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also he was in some horror movies here and there as well. Um, and, and granted, he had some huge roles in some totally non weird films like Sidney Pollack's The Absence of Malice, uh, for example. He's he's re- he's really great in that. He's in The um, Firm.
0: He plays like a yeah. like a bad henchman for the evil lawyers. Yeah,
2: he. So it's weird. He's like he's great at playing like a, a rural, grumpy rural dude, or like a grumpy lawyer dude. Like it's weird how how uh, how a character actor will, will you know will, will fit two molds that in real life are maybe a little further removed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, in this, he's clearly intended to be some sort of Heidi's grandfather sort of character, a grumpy old man whose heart is melted by a little kid. Mm -hmm. And he's the – this is interesting. He's the rare Star Wars character who wears spectacles.
0: Oh, I did not think of that. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Is there another? Uh, No one comes to mind. No. I mean, there are characters –
2: that sometimes wear strange goggles and and whatnot, you know, sort of mm-hmm. sci-fi goggles. But in terms of someone who's just straight up wearing glasses, I can't think of one offhand. No. It's like
0: a class of two. It's uh, Wilford Brimley and Maz Katana. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, extended universe stuff where he his eyes. Because the thing is, he his character is stranded on the planet as well. We come to mm-hmm. learn that he and his buddy, what Sarek, crash landed on indoor. Some unspecified number of years ago, uh-huh. uh, like it seems like maybe like twenty twenty five years, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, maybe in that time, he his eyesight went bad, and he had to like find like ancient ruins on the on Endor and find eyeglasses that had been constructed by the by a, a long dead civilization. Right. Uh, I don't know, or maybe he just wore eyeglasses. I don't
0: know. In the pyramids of indoor, Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you say he's like a Heidi's grandpa kind of character. He absolutely is that. But I would say the actual closer analogy within the Star Wars universe, and this is going to sound strange at first, but he's the Han Solo character in this movie. He's the person who is initially gruff and grumpy and self-interested, but comes through in the end because he made friends and he's, he yeah. saves the day. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Yeah, he's, he's,
2: he's kind of the Han Solo, an older, rounder Han Solo mm-hmm. with um, – yeah, but certainly it has that journalist flair rather than, spe- you know, he's not a specialist. Uh, I, would, I would think if he was a Dungeons and Dragons character, his class would be action grandpa. Uh-huh. Because, uh, yeah, he's, he's good at just fixing stuff and tinkering with stuff.
0: But he's also really good with a, with a walking stick and a grappling hook gun. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he's a walking stick guy. But then at the end, he busts out some real martial arts. Yeah, he's able to hold his own against a, a an alien warlord that seems
2: to be about eight feet tall. So, uh, you know, he's he he can he can come through in a pinch.
0: Now, this movie also has we we mentioned. I guess this might be the only character that is carried over from the actual films. It has Wicket the Ewok. Who, yep. I, I don't mean to be mean about this movie because I did really enjoy it, and you know, I'm sure it's great for kids and all that, but. Something looks a little bit wrong with Wicket in this movie. In Return of the Jedi, <laughs> Wicket the Ewok is cute. In this movie, he has Manson family eyes. I'm not sure exactly what's different. It, I guess it's the same costume, but he has this terrifying blank stare that I don't recall from Return of the Jedi. Huh. I don't know. I, I, I didn't pick up on that as much
3: in this but uh, beep beep
0: beep 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 we have an incoming message from seth seth has has knowledge we don't have (laughs) about wicked eyes
3: guys i'm very 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 sorry to interrupt but uh i i know this just from watching uh too many documentaries about the many small changes that have taken place in the updated versions of all the star wars movies you know one of the big things they did for uh return of the jedi Was no, no, I'm sorry. Is that even the right name of that movie? Which one's the third movie? Return of the Jedi, yeah.
2: Return of the Jedi, you got it.
3: (laughs) I'm I'm glad I have those (laughs) correct in my head. Return of the Jedi, one of the big changes they made was they went in and very subtly made all of the Ewoks' eyes less creepy. They gave <laughs> them very subtle blinks, they gave them life, so they weren't actually looking like little buttons. So, so Joe, this is fascinating to me because you might actually have a vision of the special editions oh, now no. updated in your mind oh, no. where their eyes look less <laughs> creepy. When in reality, maybe this version of Wicket is the true version of Wicket. Oh, my this is, God. This is, what we, this is what we actually knew, perhaps back in the 80s, pre-special editions. I, I, can, I don't know, though. Oh, thank
0: you, Seth. Well, now I consider myself just fully shamed because I, <laughs> I'm on record not – well, then again – I don't like a lot of the stuff they did in the remasters, but a lot of the changes they made, for example, in Empire are good. You know, like the new Wampa and all that. That's good stuff. So maybe this is one of the good ones, too.
2: Could be. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if it's done right, you wouldn't notice, right? And so this is one where you don't notice. Uh, so makes sense.
0: But is Wicket in this movie still Warwick Davis? Yeah, it's totally Warwick Davis. Um,
2: uh, Warwick Davis is 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 Wicket and, and always will be. Um, but uh, – but it is interesting to watch him in this film, knowing it's Warwick Davis, because in in when he's playing Wicket, there's really not much to the role, right? I mean, it's it's a physical role. Uh, you know, he's doing a fair amount of tumbling and whatnot. But considering Warwick Davis's place in uh, you know his, his subsequent career, mm-hmm. uh, he he feels kind of wasted in this, because of course yeah. he would go on to. To to be, you know, he would be Willow, you know, the star of of that uh, uh, Lucas fantasy film. He would be the leprechaun in the leprechaun horror films. He was in the Harry Potter movies playing various, I think, goblin creatures. Uh, So he has all these other roles, sometimes not even playing a magical being, just playing a person. you know he he has proven himself to be uh, a, you know a, a good actor a solid actor uh so it's it's interesting to watch this and and know that he's you know there's there's this there's this future acting talent just sealed in
0: this suit i mean he does a lot more with this role than you would than you would expect to be possible, because to be fair, Wicket, there's not much on the page for Wicket in, in yeah. this story. Uh, if we were watching it, uh, Rachel commented halfway through the movie, Wicket is a yes man. And that, yeah. that is absolutely true. Wicket mostly in this film uh, is just there to be like, yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, this is true.
2: <laughs> but but he also is kind of like he has his Jack Burton moment at the end because he, he comes through. Oh, yeah. When it's needed, he comes through. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he comes through more than once. He, there are a few times where he he proves himself, uh, you know, the, the fighting powerhouse of our adventuring party here.
0: Mm-hmm. So despite the, the, the scary glassy eyes and the la- lack of substance for the role on the page, I think Warwick Davis does a great job playing Wicked in this.
2: Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
2: Now, another person of note in this film uh, is is the witch. uh, Charles, I believe her name is, uh, played by uh, Sian Phillips. Uh, probably the most seasoned actor in the whole production. Uh, she's a she, she's a Welsh actor, probably best known for playing uh, Reverend Mother uh, Gaius Helen Moham
0: in David Lynch's Dune. Wow. You remember her? Oh yeah. Uh, you you will you will feel my gamjabar.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's yeah, she's fabulous in in Dune. A, a weird movie. We should probably come back to because even even if you strip away the Dune in Dune, there's plenty of just additional Lynchian weirdness in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, she's, she's great in that. She was also in I, Claudius. She played Cassiopeia in Clash of the Titans. And she also just did a ton
0: of British TV work, seemingly, you know, most of it historical sort of stuff. So I have a question about this character. She shows up, she's wearing like a metal corset, and she she looks kind of like, um, what's that? It, the, there's a character in Mortal Kombat who she kind of reminds me of. I'm not quite sure what what she was called but she's got like long hair and mm. she's evil and well confusingly the character you're thinking of in mortal Kombat
2: is uh sindel um oh, which, which is, is also, also th- the name of the, the name child of the little girl movie. yeah <laughs> okay. sindel sindel is the girl sindel is the evil version
0: in mortal Kombat. okay uh but yeah so she looks kind of like that but then she's a witch like she she has sorceress powers and so that mm-hmm. makes me wonder in the context of uh star wars does that mean she is a force user yes so okay yeah so, so this is where it gets complex
2: and geeky again uh because within the context of this film alone and it's time she just seems to be a magical witch thrown in yeah she's the witch of Endor. get it you know yeah. biblical oh
0: yeah exactly <laughs> but so she um, should
2: be calling up the prophet samuel to give a <laughs> give an omen for the battle i guess so i mean I, I, it's kind of what she does this kind of a her role here we can sort of see the the inspiration here um but s- subsequently it has been retconned i think to understand that she was a rogue night sister so night sisters are female um practitioners of the force female force sensitive individuals who use the dark side uh and are capable of 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 great magic in many cases they're native to the planet uh, Dathomir, which is also the planet that um Darth Maul's species comes from. And basically, in the Clone Wars animated series, uh, and I think some in Rebels, I don't recall exactly, uh, mainly in Clone Wars, uh, we see these knight sister characters showing up and playing an important role and it, at times working with or working
0: against the interests of, uh, of the Sith. But so they Well, she's got powers that no other Force user ever has in Star Wars. Like she can transform into animals. Anakin yeah. Skywalker couldn't do that. Even I don't think Yoda could transform into an animal.
2: No, I mean this is, but it 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 does feel in keeping with Night Sister magic, like the stuff mm-hmm. that the Night Sisters do in in the Clone Wars series, are more are more like straight up magic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like bringing things back to life, uh, necromantic acts, that sort of thing. That being said, I I, I do admit, like in this film. She feels she feels like something other than the force, even if she's ultimately using the
0: force. I don't recall anybody in this film mentioning the force. You wouldn't know the force exists. Right. Yeah. She's she's like a straight up witch in in this film. And and
2: I say that Phillips isn't given a ton to do with this role. Uh, but but she's good. I would have liked to have seen more from her character. But she still, she plays a great witch. She has a really awesome costume. And the effects are really nice when she transforms into a raven. Because she already has like a raveny feathery cloak and all. and uh, And she has this magic ring that seems to uh, contain the magic she uses mm-hmm. or
0: focuses the magic she's using. We, we're not sure, but it, it it plays an important role later on in the film. So she's one of the main villains, but then the other main villain is the, the, the leader of these marauder aliens. I was, when we were watching it, I kept calling him Thulsa Vroom. Uh, <laughs> so he's the guy who leads the bad guys who show up at the village at the beginning and, and screw everything up. And he wants power and he wants, the, the, there's like a, I don't know how to explain the plot, but I guess we'll get into that in a minute. But there's this piece of technology from a spaceship that he wants because he thinks it'll give him power. So he's the same species as these other Marauders, meaning he looks kind of like a reptilian, insect, orangutan, skeleton type creature. But also with with certain angles, his silhouette and his facial hair, because he's got this cool beard, he looks like James Randi looked in the 80s. <laughs> Did you notice this comparison? If you look um, at the picture d- of, uh, of the amazing Randy like on Johnny Carson in the seventies or eighties, it's it's this guy, it's Tarek. Huh. I didn't
2: get that as much as I got kind of a faint like George C. Scott vibe from him.
0: Mm. Oh wow, that's a very different direction.
2: <laughs> but uh yeah, this is this is Tarek, the the towering warlord of the Marauders. Um I I also have to say that even though all the Marauders tend to look pretty good, clearly Tarek, when you're the ruler of a of a group of marauders, you're going to get more screen time. Mm-hmm. You're also going to get more of that FX budget. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, while sometimes the guys in the background are look maybe the, you know they look all right, Tarek looks really good. Like the makeup effects are, are are really well done on him. Yeah, I agree. And he's played by the towering Dutch actor Carl Strucken. Uh, who would uh, who went on to play Lurch in both 90 s Adams family movies as well as the Giant on Twin Peaks. and he's, he's been in a ton of stuff. And I think he did the voice of Tarek as well. I was looking at the credits to see if they were doing that thing where they have a different voice actor for a, a, a very physical role. But I think this is Struken doing the voice as well and it's you know there's his deep you know giant voice and uh, uh, it's it's
0: quite effective. You know where he really looks great? Even better than in the movie is in this poster you showed me for the movie that you you found where uh, he's like holding a big sword. He's like this the Darth Vader in the original Star Wars poster, towering over everything, looming mm-hmm. in the background. Though I I have to say also, and I know you you pointed this out as well, this poster is extremely misleading about what's in this movie.
2: Yeah, and and apparently this was like the home video the video version of the poster too. Like this this was not just pre-production stuff like this they were like it's good put it on the vhs and send it out because it it does have a whole bunch of weird things that clearly show that it was created prior to the 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 completion of the movie um i don't know where to begin here for instance um it it has a giant Terek. it's got multiple spaceships in the background even though there's only ever one it has. There, there the are wrong... no
0: space battles in this movie, but it, it, no, it, it no. makes it look like there's going to be.
2: Yeah, it also shows a, a Han Solo looking character with a blaster on the front that I think is supposed to be the dad from the first movie. But it, yeah, it makes no sense here because he play. Even the, the dad in this movie plays no real role.
0: Yeah, wh- whoever this is, this is not somebody in the movie.
2: Yeah, and then you have uh, you have Wicket and Teak there standing battle ready. But then you have uh, Sindel there holding a big old knife, like a big dagger. Like she's ready to jump into combat and start stabbing marauders in the
0: neck. Mm-hmm. That is not indicative of what happens in the movie. And she – it looks like – I don't know. I, I wondered if also in this depiction they're trying to make it more ambiguous that she might be a boy. yeah. Yeah, I can see that too. Like if they were like, oh, we need to make sure that boys want to watch this. So don't want to give them the impression that the main character is a girl. (laughs) I'm glad the Blurg made the the cover too, though. The Blurg's in the background looking pretty good. And there are these mountains that I don't recall being in the movie. These like snow-capped peaks. Is that in the film? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I don't remember any mountains, no. There's like a cliff at one part, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. We, We can get into that. Okay, well, maybe we should just give a, a brief outline of the, of the whole plot uh, so, okay. so you know the shape of the thing. So we, we talked about how it starts, at, you know, this Conan the Barbarian beginning, the villages raided, uh, the humans, uh, Sindel, the little girl. By the way, I, I don't know if I mentioned this already, but I had to look it up because they've got this actress named Aubrey Miller playing Sindel, the main character, the, the, girl, the, the, bl- the blonde girl, and clearly – they wanted Drew Barrymore, right? This came out two or three mm-hmm. years after E.T., and they were like, let's get Drew Barrymore, but maybe they couldn't afford her or something. So they were like, well, get us the Barrymorest kid you can find. And I think that's how we ended up with, with this main character here.
2: You know, there's apparently a fan theory um, that Sindel grows up to be Captain Phasma from the sequel trilogy. Uh, what <laughs> uh, yeah
0: i mean oh, okay. there's
2: there's nothing canon or anything here but uh but some fans put that together and i think they uh what's her name gwendolyn christie yeah uh, she's also Captain blonde Fasin. okay yeah they, they were like yeah they're both blonde maybe the math works i don't know and also this does seem like the kind of experience that might harden you towards a uh, a life serving the first order um, so it kind of makes sense. I don't know.
0: Oh, right. So the idea is she's exposed to these roving bands of marauders. She's like, L- it's just chaos out here. We need order. We need order. So yeah. she's just like, yeah. sign Tra- up with the empire, try to bring law yeah, and order to Yeah, went indoor. through
2: this traumatic experience. Yeah. And you, you, <laughs> what direction do you going? She ends up going, going that direction. So I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think anybody's gone so far as to do a treatment of that, uh, in uh you know in novel form or anything or short story form but that
0: would it would be interesting to see how
2: that might be stitched together
0: yeah okay I, that's very interesting now my, my mind is set on it uh <laughs> so sindel her human family they're living with the ewoks they're paul gleason her dad is working on this spaceship trying to repair it or something and and then they get attacked by the marauders and then just all the humans except sindel are killed and uh and, and and so the leader of the bad guys, Thulsa Room, he obviously wants some kind of canister from out of Paul Gleason's spaceship. And when he, you know, he he tries to get it, and he's like, "The power! I have the power!" And then this is also where we meet the sorceress. And then Sindel and her Ewok buddies are captured by the uh, by by the marauding creatures. And Wicket promises to take care of her. He says, Wicket, take care of Sindel. So he speaks in the third person and invokes his own name. He's like a very cute teddy bear, Bob Dole. And then the, the Ewoks escape the the marauders who have captured them, uh, Wicked and, and Sindel get away. And this movie very much continues on the theme that's established in The Return of the Jedi, that while the Ewoks may look extremely cute and like living teddy bears, they are also highly resourceful jungle guerrilla warriors. They're, they're like the mm-hmm. Viet Cong of Endor. They know how to use the environment. They set traps. You know they—they've got very clever tactics for for the landscape. Yeah, when they are fighting on on their own terms, on their home home turf,
2: they they just can't be beat. They can they can take out the Galactic Empire uh, as long as they're fighting. Uh, within the forest of Endor and using guerrilla tactics yes
0: uh so Wicked and Sindel escape and this escape sequence involves what appears to be teleportation do you remember this part (laughs) where they're just running through the woods and then it just cuts to them most of the way up a cliff face I don't know if something was edited out there or if they're like ah people get the point it feels like that was this cut for time a little bit there yeah yeah
2: but, but it's otherwise a great escape sequence because there's like this, you know, they, they, they cut a hole through the bottom of this cart. Mm-hmm. They have this cart that's being pulled by a blurg, and the cart seems to be made out of blurg bones and hide. Mm-hmm. So I was like that. And, yeah, then they're on the run, and two marauders are after them, and, um, and they manage to, like, duck into a cave and, like, wick it. Basically, like straight up, like murders the two marauders that are after them. Like the, the. Uh, well, no, I guess he doesn't. I think the marauders, through their own reckless violence, manage to, to dislodge some boulders that then fall on them and you know make them fall to their deaths.
0: Yeah, that's right. They get knocked off of the pass of Caraththos.
2: Yeah. Right. Then they encounter a dragon condor, oh, yes. and they have to battle that, and she gets snatched away by it. Yeah, and- they,
0: they they go into a cave, and it, is Wicket trying to build a hang glider? I think he's just building yeah. one out of bones and hides and stuff. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, that's the other
2: thing to keep in mind about the Ewoks. Like, yes, they're using, like, Stone Age technology, but they have mastered non-powered flight. Mm-hmm. Like, they can build a, a functional glider and just go for
0: it. Yeah, so he builds that, and then they accidentally disturb a dragon— uh, that mm-hmm. I, I what is the deal with this dragon's chest? It looks like it's wearing a vest of some kind. Do you remember this?
2: I don't remember the chest of the dragon. I mainly uh-huh. just remember it's you know it has kind of like a snaky condory head. Uh huh.
0: Well, okay. So the dragon grabs Sindel and flies off with her, and then Wicket has to rescue her, which he does by like making the dragon drop her and then flying down and catching her after she's been dropped in a very- yeah physically implausible scene, but it, it works and, you know, it's fun. Yeah. But one of the things that I noted, uh, this maybe extremely brief monster science note when they watch the dragon flying away, there's this part where they show a planet looming over the horizon and it takes up literally half the sky. I guess that's supposed to be the gas giant that this moon is a moon of. Yeah. But, uh, but I was like, that just looks too big. That is implausibly <laughs> big though. It did make me look up, uh, and I think we've sort of talked about this on the show before when we were talking about the moons of Jupiter, but there are moons you could stand on in our solar system where if you look at the planet that this is a moon of, the planet would look much bigger than things we're used to seeing in the sky. For example, if you stand on the surface of the innermost major moon of jupiter the the galilean moon io which is very Mm -hmm. yellow sulfurous hell lots of volcanoes erupting all the time uh you stand on the surface of io and you look at jupiter jupiter would not take up half the sky but it would be very big compared to like stuff we're used to seeing like the sun or the moon you can usually i think cover up the moon if you extend your arm fully and you can like cover it up with one finger to cover up Jupiter from the surface of Io, you'd probably have to use your whole hand. So it's bigger, but it's still not the whole sky. Right.
2: Um, I, I guess I, did, I didn't notice as much. Maybe I mean, I didn't think about it, uh, but I've, I've been playing this game No Man's Sky a little bit. Oh, yeah. That's, where, yeah, yeah. That's fun. Which it's, yeah, fun, beautiful game. You're exploring planets, landing on it. But there's a lot of that in this game. Yes. Where you land on on some strange, beautiful world and the horizon is just redonkulous. Yeah. Like gorgeous. But yeah, if you start thinking about the, the, the relative size and distances involved, uh, it's a bit much at times
0: but uh so wicked and Sindel, they're out in the woods here after they've escaped and then then they meet the real star of the film which is a tricksy beast with scruffy fur and beaver teeth that runs on fast forward and this is teak who we've already alluded to teak teak is just the best
2: teak is yeah he's awesome um my my wife thinks he has frightening teeth. Yeah, I, I don't think he is frightening. He, he has very he's very rabbit like, uh, both in his dental mechanics, but also in just his overall form. Mm-hmm. He's this kind of like little rabbity fella that uh, runs around at speeds that must make him the fastest creature in the Star Wars universe.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it, here's the real question:
2: Is Teak an Ewok? I don't think so. Um, no, I, I look
0: uh, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> His species is teak. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe the new season of the Mandalorian will have a baby
2: teak. Oh man. I would love for teak to show up again in some form or another. Cause I, I feel like he was an absolute joy, uh, it's you know very much a it's an interesting story with teak because it's it's very much a a little person in a suit very well done very well acted the suit is in the like the puppetry that that moves the facial features is 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 just very well done mm-hmm. i totally bought teak as an actual creature in this but uh the uh, some of the lore apparently is that brim wilfer brimley apparently can be difficult to get along with And for starters, I don't think he liked the directors on this. And so somebody else had to direct him in all of his scenes. But on top of this, Teak was going to originally be either exclusively a puppet or was going to be a puppet more of the time. And Wilford was just having none of this. He's like, I am not acting opposite a puppet. You get a (laughs) you get a person in here in a suit. I'll act against the person. But get that puppet out of (laughs) here.
0: That's just perfect. Will he's he's like the puppet. That's witchcraft, you know. He <laughs> doesn't like it at all. Uh, but anyway, this alludes to the fact that the Teak and Wilford Brimley are are a duo in this movie. Teak leads mm-hmm. Sindel and Wicket the Ewok to the home of Wilford Brimley. Again, the character's name is Noah. And we meet Wilford Brimley, and he's very ornery, and he tries to send them away. He's like, you can't stay here. Get out of my house. And uh, <laughs> the little girl's just like, well, he's just a mean old man anyway. But he makes them depart the kingdom of Brimley. So they sit outside, being sad and pathetic. They're like, "We're cold, we're hungry." And he's <laughs> like, "Well, I'm a mean old man, and I don't care." But then his heart, with, with some urging from Teak, his heart eventually melts, and he lets them into the house, and and they mm-hmm. share a fire. And then he becomes he becomes nice grandpa instead of mean grandpa.
2: Yeah, I was watching this movie with my son, and he was he, he was initially not having any of this. Uh, uh, this Noah character is like, yeah, this guy's awful. He's mean. Uh, I don't like him. Uh, but then he yeah, he has a, a rapid change of heart.
0: Uh, <laughs> and then he's all in for the rest of, of the movie. Uh, speaking of the resourcefulness of the Ewoks, one of the things that I really enjoyed was there's a scene where Wicket makes a fire with a bow drill. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's weird. The domestic scenes in this film are some of my favorites. Like mm-hmm. they just warm my heart in a way that I, I can't fully explain. But, just the scenes where they're just sitting around eating or cooking or, or playing music mm-hmm. together. Like these are just, I don't know. They're just, they're just totally warm experiences. Yeah. Uh, I think I like those more than anything else.
0: There's a lot of puppets eating food or I don't know if they're, I guess the facial puppetry of, of, of Teak and stuff that I guess yeah. that would still be puppetry. Um, uh, even though there's an actor playing Teak, but like the, uh, <laughs> there's the scene where they're eating a, pie made out of flowers. I, d- I didn't fully understand that. Like they gathered flowers. They're mm-hmm. like, we're making a pie and okay. Um, but then, uh, so after all this, the, you get these nice domestic scenes. They share a fire. They eat, Flower pie, and then we finally cut to the castle of pain. It shows these rock, these stone towers. I don't know what castle they used to film this at, but it's this uh nasty castle where the skeleton orangutan insect creatures live, and the Raven Sorceress is there, and they're all hanging out trying to do some kind of magic spell on the mm-hmm. canister from Paul Gleason's spaceship. I, I I didn't really understand this either, but maybe it wasn't supposed to make sense
2: um i don't know i i probably thought about it way too much because i i think what we have here is that the marauders at some time in the past themselves crash landed on Endor, Mm -hmm. and at this point they no longer I, i i suspect that the marauders were like more of a primitive um society on their home world like maybe they had achieved uh, you know like iron age or um, or maybe bronze age technology before they got sucked up into galactic affairs, you know, forced to be a warrior cast by some group or another uh, and just thrown in over their head, given technology that they don't really understand, but figure out how to use effectively. Like the the blasters that they have, you know, that are all just, again, held together with dirty gauze. There are a couple of scenes of one of them sitting around drunkenly, tinkering with some sort of electrical contraption and electrocuting itself in the process. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you get that sense that that they they sort of know how the technology works. They know it well enough to use it, but they don't understand other concepts. So at some point in their past, they might have understood that they need a power cell to give them the power to return to orbit and return to galactic affairs but at this point you know maybe it's generations uh, afterwards all that has survived is this idea that if they get a hold of a power cell that is the power okay. and so Tarek believes that he no longer understands it in terms of technological power but in terms of
0: like personal cosmic power personal magical power Through the decay of the lore over the years, what was initially a technological utilitarian need has become a religion. We need this object of power in order to give us basically the magic to do what we want.
2: Right. And as far as the castle goes, um, I interpreted that as being like ruins that they found. Like those are the ruins of some even, you know, some previous Endorian civilization that was snuffed out or,
0: or, or expired. Okay. yeah, I guess that would make sense. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
4: Get emotional with me, Ravi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry.
0: So, so they're trying to work their magic and it's not going well. And then we cut back to Wilfred Brimley, Sindel and Wicked and Teak and and they're in the pro well, actually they find out that Wilfred Brimley himself has a crashed spaceship seems like there are a lot of cl- crash spaceships around here and he's mm-hmm. been trying to repair it right is he's like been working on it for all these years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Again, the, the comparisons between this movie and No Man's Sky are tremendous because <laughs> you land on a yeah. planet No Man's Sky and they're just crashed spaceships everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how it is here. Yeah. So he has a crashed spaceship, but he has he's been working to repair it, but he does not have a power cell.
0: Uh, so – and then in the process of discovering this, the, the characters just get more and more sappy toward each other. Wilfred Brimley gets all sweet and he opens up to the child and the Ewok. He gets Sindel to sing a song at one point. And I don't mm-hmm. m- mean to be mean to this child actor, but the, it is so bad. Like, Wicket can barely <laughs> pretend to clap at the end of the song. <laughs> um Another thing I noticed that uh, – so you mentioned that the cart made by the marauder creatures looks like it's made out of bones, and you're right about that. Maybe it's made out of the blurg bones. Sometimes Wilford Brimley's hut in the woods also looks like it's made out of bones, like that uh, like that, uh, Stone Age uh, mammoth bone hut we talked about in an episode not too long ago.
2: Well, I mean it seems like there are various megafauna on the planet that mm-hmm. can be um, butchered and made into houses. But it's the forest moon of Endor, though. Like, they're not hurting for lumber. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, why? there's wood everywhere. Why build anything out of a bone?
0: Yeah, yeah. interesting, I wonder. But uh, anyway... So one morning you you get the third act kicks into gear because one morning Sindel is lured out of the house by something that she thinks is the sound of her mother singing. And then Wicked and and Wilfred Brimley go after her. And Sindel comes across this weird fairy type lady in a flowing white dress who's out in the forest with a white horse. But, of course, it's a trap. This is the sorceress, the witch from the beginning. She snatches Sindel and rides off on a horse to the Castle of Pain.
2: Yeah, the horse turns
0: black in the process. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, Thulsa Vroom wants Sindel to use her magic to make the stolen canister work. And she, of course, doesn't know how to do this. And then he has a meltdown and throws her in a prison cell. Uh, but there's a there's a rescue scene that kicks off. So Wilford Brimley, Wicket, and Teak, they, they sort of uh, gear up. And they go to the castle on a mission of rescue. There's a grappling hook infiltration. This whole infiltration scene with with Teak, I think, is really fun. It is. It's it's, it's a
2: lot of fun because you got you got the grappling hook going in. It's uh, you know Teak is your stealth specialist, mm-hmm. uh, flying ahead. There's a, oh there's a there's a wonderful scene where where uh, once they are inside, and just getting in is pretty exciting, but then they um, they all three stack up on top of each other and put a cloak over themselves to pretend to be one marauder To in order to pass unnoticed through their drunken mead hall.
0: Yeah. Well, the bad guys are doing this thing where, I guess this sometimes happens, especially in kids' movies, where the bad guys are all hanging out and they're having a big old feast and they're eating and drinking and they're just constantly emitting... Non-stop growling man, maniacal laughter, uh, and it makes you wonder, like, yeah. what are they talking about? What's so funny? It's just it, non-stop. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: yeah. I don't know what they're they're talking about. I mean, clearly they're they're talking about. I mean, there's that one guy that's working with electrical equipment, uh-huh. so maybe that's a lot of like insider techie
0: humor on his end. But everybody else is just drinking and laughing. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, Wilfred Brimley, Wicket, and Teak free the Ewoks and Sindel from the castle prison. The escape sequence reveals that Ewoks, once again, they're pretty handy with blasters in a pinch, and mm-hmm. everybody escapes via a zip line. And then they do the thing—they <laughs> do the thing uh, that Kevin McAllister does in Home Alone, where the bad guys try to come on the zip line after them, and they cut it so that mm-hmm. they fall into the moat yeah the acid mode oh is it is it acid or does it have some kind of creature in it? I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be piranhas or if the liquid itself was harmful
2: oh yeah they're a little
0: they're a little vague on that point. There's something in there that bubbles and and messes you up, oh, and there's a great line I love when they're reunited uh so we find out that Wilford Brimley had a friend that he crash landed on this planet with. And, uh, and his bones are there in the castle of pain. And when the, when Sindel and Wilford Brimley meet back up, Sindel says to him, I'm sorry about your friend. They killed him for the power thing. <laughs> and there, there is
2: Sarek's bones, like just bones, mm-hmm. just basically a, so it's been a, a high school science uh, uh, uh display. Yeah.
0: Like really dry bones. Like they look mm-hmm. fossilized. So I don't yeah. know how long Wilford Brimley's supposed to have been there, but, uh, yeah.
2: Now, and when they're when they're freeing the Ewoks, an important thing is that the, there's a second there where the witch she, the witch is locked up too. Mm. We've learned in all this that the witch uh, is 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 as much a prisoner as they are in many ways. Mm. Like Carrot keeps asking her to release the magic, and she can't do it. And there's this confusing scene when they're still locked up, where the witch is like like t- talking to a Sindel and says, "Well, why didn't you release the magic when he asked you to release the magic? Did you try waving your hand over it or something?" <laughs> and It seems it's a confusing sequence that, more than anything in this film, forces me to do a lot of um, mental gymnastics to make work. Mm -hmm. Because if she, if she's like this magical being, uh, like where does she come from? Like the night sister uh, excuse, like that seems to work for a lot of this you can say well she's a you know a force sensitive individual from another planet like everybody else in this scenario she got stuck on this planet or got stuck with the marauders at some point or another but she clearly knows about spaceships she re- that's revealed later she you know she she i guess knows about a, a, broader, a wider universe so doesn't she realize this is a power cell the best i can do to understand this is maybe she's just been in with the marauders so long she's like She's gone mad. She's like bought into Tarek's madness mm-hmm. into thinking that the power cell has has magical properties. I don't know.
0: That is an admirable retcon, Rob. You, you, <laughs> you've come as close as a person could come.
2: Because otherwise it's a real I say it's a real weak point in this particular uh, script. Yeah. But at any rate, they were they, uh, uh, Sindel refuses to let Wicket free her, says, no, she's evil and swats the keys out of his hands and they go down in the sewer and then, uh, and then once the, uh, the good guys have escaped, the marauders come back, they act for a second, like they're just going to gun down the witch in the cage, but instead they free her and, and they're like, yeah, come with us. Uh, and you're going to, we're going to get this thing back. She transforms into uh, her raven form, but after she does so, Tarek takes the magic ring off of the, uh, the raven's, um, uh, claw there, um, and, and puts it on a necklace around his own neck, uh presumably this means she cannot change back into her human form until she gets that ring back from Tarek
0: oh okay I didn't understand that at the time now I do. that makes sense but Tarek also seems to maybe is he getting power from the ring or something I don't know is it like what is it like the one ring I don't think he gets anything out of it
2: okay. no Un- until in the very final scene with him, uh, he, he gets it in all the wrong ways, which we'll, right. we'll, we'll touch on.
0: So the Marauders then chase our heroes. They chase Wilfred Brimley, Sindel, and the Ewoks, and Teak. Uh, and and the, the heroes are going to – remember, Wilford Brimley has a spaceship that's up on cinder blocks in his yard. They're they're going to that, and Wilford Brimley is going to do something with the power cell. I think he's going to repair his ship, and I don't know. They'll escape or something. But uh, there's of course there of course has to be an Ewok battle, just like in Return of the Jedi, and there is one. So the Ewoks battle the Marauders in the woods, and they use traps and they use the environment, and, and it's much like the the Return of the Jedi scene.
2: Yeah, it's it's Marauders uh, versus Ewoks and it's pretty good lots of traps going off and then eventually noah gets the the ship's uh, defenses running uh, so he mm-hmm. starts busting out first of all there's like this enormous um blaster cannon on the side of the the uh, the ship that like folds out and starts taking down uh, enemies and then there are also these two what seem to be open air gunnery positions mm-hmm. like they're they're not completely enclosed so um Either that's a flaw in the whole design or they're only intended for use during uh, like while the ship is in an atmosphere or something. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, they've got like three gunnery positions now, I think, adding to the use of traps. And they have a catapult, which, of course, ends up firing an Ewok at a marauder at one point. Pete right. um, gets in on the action. There's a wonderful scene where he starts a little fire underneath one of the Blurg's uh, feet oh, and yeah. starts a
0: Blurg stampede. Mm-hmm. I mean, since he is essentially the Flash, you would think he would be pretty useful in a fight. He can, like, fast-forward run to any position.
2: Oh, yeah. Then he wraps... uh, He fast-forward vine wraps, a marauder Mm -hmm. to a tree at one point.
0: Yes. There are lots of vines. That also makes me think about how the spaceship is not only... So the spaceship that's up on cinder blocks is covered in vines They look very flammable. When they start shooting the lasers, it looks like... (laughs) I don't know. It looks like a a fire hazard. Um, But, of course, the... As you might expect, it's a yubnub. nub. The humans and the Ewoks win the battle against the Marauders, and 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 yay. But then the bad guy, Tarek, uh, even after the battle is over, he captures Sindel, and he tries to bargain with Wilfred Brimley. He's like, give me the power, defy me, and she is doomed. And then Wilfred Brimley and Thulsa, Thulsa Vroom duel. So it's sword versus walking stick. And for a second, it looks like Tarek is going to win. But then Wicket uses his sling and hits, I guess, the jewel on the ring on on Tarek's necklace that he got from yes. the witch. And for some reason, hitting that with the sling uh, or the stone from the sling makes Tarek get just crispified. He, he just sort of like burns up and turns into a ash husk.
2: Yeah, it's a great petrification scene because it's like it hits the ring, and then Tarek has this moment. You know, he's wanted power this whole time; he wants magical power, and now he's gotten it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, not from the source he was after, but here is the power, and it just just fries him like yeah, a charbroil, uh, you know, like just yeah, charbroil. Like it, like you just put him in the microwave too long, just turns him to this smoking ashen stone, and uh, and it's it's a pretty great sequence. And then afterwards, like the wickets trying to get too close to it. And Noah's like, don't, 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 don't even look at it. Don't get close to it. Um, It's just (laughs) like just an unwholesome affair.
0: It doesn't taste as good as he smells. (laughs) Uh, But then, of course, they fly away. Wilford Brimley and Sindel evacuate the planet. Uh, uh, Sindel is now a child of space and I don't know what happens after that maybe they, they go on adventures or maybe Sindel joins the Empire
2: <laughs> yeah like, that would make sense if you go the, the Captain Phasma direction I think they were going to do a third one of, of this I've seen rumblings about that, that, that originally there was going to be a third Ewok movie but it never never came to fruition so one can only wonder and so that's the end yub-nub, yub-nub.
0: <laughs> I can't. does Teak stay behind? Where does Teak go to? I don't remember. I should know that.
2: I think Teak stays. I think Teak is a child of Endor, like the Ewoks, and and should not leave.
0: Uh, If Teaks had been uh, made to fly, they would have been born with power cells.
2: Yeah. Also, what happens if uh, Teak is on board a ship traveling at warp speed, and then he runs at full speed— Back through the
0: hallways, oh, that's one of those good relativity questions. Man, I wish I'd yeah. thought of this ahead of time. We could have
2: worked that out. <laughs> that's homework. Homework for your listeners who who want to do some some uh, uh, so, some deep thinking there. So in terms of uh, you know deep thinking about this one, uh, again, I think my main area of contemplation is just about the role of different species at different technological levels. Within the galactic community of Star Wars, because yeah. just in this film, just think of all the different technological levels we encounter. Like there's there are the Ewoks, which, again, seem to have just peak Stone Age technology at their hands. Uh-huh. We, have, we have the Marauders, who, again, probably didn't have a tremendous technological achievement level before they were seemingly thrust into galactic affairs. So you almost kind of I almost have to I pity the the Marauders, you know, because. Mm. Did they? How much say did they have in the current state of their species? You have the possible medieval-level technology that we see in that castle of some, I guess, forgotten or uh, uh, extinct species that may have lived on indoor at one point. Mm-hmm. You've got people like Sindel's, Sindel's family and Noah who are part of the spacefaring faring um, community at large, but having crash-landed, having lost some of their technology – are well on their way towards just being um you know at a lo- living at a lower level of technological achievement you know like uh-huh. like noah has become an old man in a hut cooking over fires uh instead of uh, a spacefaring adventurer
0: well this makes me wonder if maybe indoor at the time of the star Wars movies is in a dark age, kind of like after the late bronze age collapse where you'd had these mm-hmm. big empires that were developing urban centers and, and trade and technology. And then something happens some kind of environmental collapse. Maybe there's a collapse of, uh, you know, uh, just a, a confluence of different factors—you uh, know, military invasions, famine, and that kind of stuff—that leads to civilization-level collapse, and then a lot of knowledge of how to do things is just lost.
2: Yeah, and and who you knows? The marauders may have played some role in that, either as you know, as a faction, or you know, mercenaries who were brought in to be a part of this uh, uh, this this uh, situation and of course eventually the the galactic empire itself does show up you know they they show up in return of the jedi but they have a very strategic and surgical interest in the moon of endor like they they are seem to be only interested in establishing a shield generator base to protect the second Death Star, which is being built uh, within that system. Uh, otherwise, I don't think they particularly care what the Ewoks are doing. They don't care if there happen to be a band of marauders on the other side of the moon mm-hmm. doing their thing. They don't care if there's some other random shipwrecked individuals. They have a task to take care of. So anyway, that's just that's some just additional stuff I was thinking about, as well as just wondering how fast Teak is in relation to everything else. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say that this, of course, is a topic that gets... A lot better treatment in in other works, you know. I mean, it's part of the whole Prime Directive thing in Star Trek. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Ian M Banks gets into this a fair amount in his culture novels. It's you know, once you start populating a galactic a fictional galactic community with different species at different technological levels, and then interacting with each other, you're going to get a lot of these questions, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, I, a lot of the the uh, the reason I think that we contemplate that is, of course, we see examples of similar interplays. Uh, having happened uh, on our own planet in in human history, what happens when um, you know from when one more technically technologically advanced society uh, interacts with another one you know typically uh it's it's not a good situation yeah. uh especially for the lower technological level society uh but you you see some interesting um, scenarios happening uh, such as the cargo cult uh, scenario that we mentioned uh previously on the stuff to Blow your mind episode in our interview with Werner Herzog you know uh you know the idea of people encountering a a higher technological level society a higher technological system and then being changed by that but also surviving that uh, encounter as well mm-hmm. so uh yeah there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of deeper thinking here to consider in terms of um, you know very very technological level interaction in a galactic community
0: really don't we all just want the power <laughs> we all just want the power thing that's the, the human power condition thing, yeah. give me the power thing <laughs> all right well you know
2: in terms of where to watch this film i really wish i could tell everybody that you can just just sign up for disney plus and and watch a you know a nice remastered cut of of the of both ewok movies alongside all the other awesome star wars content there but the thing is you can't <laughs> yeah you can't get it on disney plus i think you can still pick these films up on dvd in a cool double pack uh, I was looking around, and yeah, yeah, you can you can buy them, and the, some of the prices are not unreasonable if you if you know where to look. But I had to watch this on Russian YouTube, <laughs> so um, that sadly might be your only option.
0: Yeah, as long as we're uh, admitting bootleg experiences, I I watched this movie a while ago on one of those versions that tries to avoid uh, uh, copyright detection by like putting it in a window within a window and having like fish swimming around it all the time and weirdly zooming in and and moving on stuff so uh so so kudos to the people who put that amount of effort in to steal movies. <laughs> but I mean check around when you're listening to
2: this hopefully but if you're listening to this like a, like months later uh Disney Plus will have added these films I hope mm-hmm. that they do or that some other Legitimate means of watching it will be available. I think yeah, at some on. point Give us they a were on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I would have, I would have bought these suckers uh, uh, earlier if I could. Uh, so, yeah. Good luck finding it. But it, it, it people want it enough that it's going to continue to be available one way or another. Hopefully, legitimately available in the near future. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and uh, finish up this episode of Weird House Cinema. Uh, it, again, Weird House Cinema is our, uh, our special Friday, uh, uh, episode. Our core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind are still very much science and culture, and those are still publishing on Tuesdays and Thursdays. This is a little extra fun that you get at the end of the week, uh, to listen to if you want, or you can skip them, or you can note what the movie is, go watch the movie, come back. Uh, you know, there are multiple ways to enjoy weird house cinema or not Uh, of course we want to hear from you are you enjoying uh, what we're doing here do you have recommendations for the future but especially if you have thoughts on uh, the Ewok movies particularly the battle for Endor did you watch it as a kid like I did did you have have a a well worn VHS copy of it Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that your thoughts about how it fits into the broader Star
0: Wars universe Um, everything is up for grabs Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to
3: Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, sleep tight stories.
4: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross